So we're in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to pray. I'll read the first five verses, and then we'll get started here. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you uh, for your word. Lord, we, um, I, I'm just so grateful, Lord, for the various books that we've studied over the years. And as we uh, tackle a new, a new book, uh, the book of Genesis, Father, I pray that you would uh, help us and help me as we navigate this new this new book that answers so many questions that many of us have, and um, it really frames uh, creation and beginnings and who we are, where we came from, what's the purpose of life. Uh, so much of this is found in this foundational book, and so there's so much here, and we're, we're going to have to fly through, and I'm not going to be able to... Um, just cover every little single point that, that comes across my mind. And so I pray, Father, that you would give wisdom as we work our way through this, this book, that you would speak, that your spirit would lead us, and that he would help us uh, to make sense of uh, that which is before us. And it's in Christ's good name I pray. Amen. All right, let me get this out of the way. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning one day. And Father, we do again thank you uh, for your word. We ask that you would help us now, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're, we're entering Genesis. My Bible's going to flop shut because it's too close to the beginning, but I'm in the Bible, and just, you know, it's a little disclaimer. Um, so, so knowing how much, to, how much text to cover on a Sunday for me is always really difficult. It's it's a struggle to know how much material to cover on a given Sunday, and then even when that's established, it's it's hard to know what's supposed to come out of my mouth, and then how much to control out of my mouth is always a difficult thing for me. Um, I feel like you, the pastor's world, as you study, you study, you study, you get about a thousand beans of information, and you're allowed to share three beans. And so it's like there's so much here. We, we only have so much time. Uh, my, my world, I, re- I recognize it in this setting that I have 52 Sundays with you each year. Um, the reality is I have about 45 Sundays with you each year because I do take some vacation and stuff happens. And, and so, so, so the reality is, is we, we have 52 hours, essentially, to, to teach uh, you know, but it's really 40 minutes, so you know, those that have the brains that can do the quick math, but we'll call it 50 hours of, of, of time that we have together to communicate God's word. And so how, like, how do we do this? Now, when we're in an, in an epistle like Colossians, you can just focus on a couple sentences and have a whole lot here. Now we've shifted genres, and so now we're, we're entering this book that is historical narrative, and uh, I think it's been said that Genesis from Genesis 1-1 to the last verse, it covers something like 2,000 years of human history, and, and so already there's a lot of, of, of content, um, and under the surface in my heart, what I, I have, and I haven't really pieced together how I'm going to do this is we have a number of people just over the last couple of years that, that have really been introduced to Christianity, and this is new. And, and so trying to figure out how to, to give like a broad brush from the beginning to Jesus, like, like there's in my heart, I want to cover this. It doesn't, it's kind of more difficult because it's not my style to do like topical preaching. It's more like pick a book, go through it. And so to do that, I'd be like, okay, well, let's start at Genesis and go to Malachi. Well, We'd have to meet every single day, and it would be it would be very very difficult. And so Genesis is this big portion, and then we get through. Basically, Genesis, Genesis is divided up. The first eleven chapters is sort of like 
one category, and then from chapters 12 on, you get into like personalities and, and characters and, and the formation of Israel and the, the patriarchs and how they all came about. So I'll get to that how eventually. I'll figure out that out. But right now, we're in the beginning. And, and Genesis is this critical book of the of Bible because it answers so many of the questions that so many of us, uh, I believe, have. Like, I just assume that everybody is like me. I remember as a young kid, six, seven, laying at my bed at night, like, wondering about my existence. Like, what was before I was? And the best I could come up with was, like, darkness, you know? because I don't really remember anything, like, so it was dark. But then there's, like, this unsettling in my soul, like, well, what, like, like, certainly history existed before Gunnar was born. I know it's hard to imagine, but it, like, (laughs) but for me at six years old, it was, like, the concept of, like, what, like, was back then. And then it also then leads to the, well, what's gonna be when this candle of mine goes out? And it was, it's kind of a terrifying thing. Like if we really like lean into this, like it's, it, it can be a terrifying thing. And I'm not convinced that other creatures do this. Like I don't think my Labrador is out there like pondering life. Maybe she does, but certainly my chickens don't. Like my chickens just like, well, that's, we don't like, I have so much, I only have so much time. But there's something about humans that we kind of, we look around us and there has to be something beyond us, like deep within our heart, like regardless of the position stance, the atheist, the agnostic, all like even for an atheist to take their position, they're taking a position against a God that deep within their heart, they recognize like there must be something there that they have to kind of fight against. Animals don't take a stance against God. Like they just, they exist. And so as we get to this first chapter of of Genesis, so many of these questions that we have are sort of framed. And it's not surprising that the first chapter of Genesis is also probably the most attacked section of Scripture. It's not accidental. And so as we look at this first chapter, the, the reality is, is on the subject of creation, we could, we could probably do like a six-week series, um, or, or like we could probably do a whole lot. I mean, there, there are literally ministries and organizations that their whole existence is based on these early stages of, of Genesis and, and their whole life's work, like uh, scientists devoting their whole lives to, to Genesis. And, and so there's so much material there. So it's like, how is... <laughs> I'm not a scientist. I don't even really care about science. I mean, I know, like, I care about some science. Like, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like, like, Gunner finds entertainment in watching guys fight on ice and, like, hockey. Like, I'm, like, really a simple guy. Like, I, like, so I'm not going to get up here and try to pretend like, oh, I'm Mr. Scientist and I can, like, but I've been, but here I am with the Bible and, and we have to deal with some of the questions and I've had to sort of grapple with these things. And so in verse one, we read the most troubling sentence for humanity. Is, is, this, is, this is the sentence that is attacked. If we cannot get over the hurdle of the first sentence of the Bible, then we are going to have problems throughout the Bible. And if we can wrap our minds around the first sentence of the Bible, then we're going to be kind of like, okay, we're going to be in a better position to sort of figure out the framework of our lives and our, where our origin and where we're going and the purpose of our life. And so it begins, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so we have the, the beginning, which really begs, like, when was this? Like, when was the beginning? And so just by framing the question in the beginning, we're, we're entering into something that was created, time, this issue of time. And, and this is the, the, the ball in my brain as a little kid that was really troubling to me because it's like, I want to go back and I can go back to the day of my birth and I can find pictures there. 
But beyond that, I don't, I don't know what happened before that. And then there's like family scrapbooks. So I know that my siblings who are older than me, I then conceived the family that was play, kind of, well, my family is sort of like a hodgepodge of a family where that's a whole nother issue. But, but I can see pictures kind of going beyond my existence that they existed. And I can find pictures of my dad when he was a little boy and he looks just like me. And then, or I looked just like him. And I see pictures of my little son that looked just like him. And, and, and I can kind of trace back the family lineage to, for me, to like just my grandpa. And I can see pictures of him. And so I know like time went on. And so if we were to continue going back and back and back, eventually you're going to hit the very, very, very beginning. And you're going to be at this moment before time existed. And this is where we find ourselves in this, in the beginning. You could translate this, when time began, God was, God is, God existed. He is outside of time. So if we were able to go all the way back, roll the clock back until it ran out, there would be God and nothing. And we're told, then God created the heavens and the earth. And so the question is like, well, when was this? And so we get into some, some, some stuff that is very like argued in our world. So, so I... Uh, well, I've already said, like, I really didn't care about this stuff. Like, I, like, like I, I, I just didn't care about the age of the earth. I didn't care about all this stuff. Like, I just, it, it wasn't on my radar. Then I found myself in seminary as an active duty Navy SEAL, and I'm sitting through classes, and they're beginning to, like, present information that was kind of challenging my thinking, or, or not even challenging my thinking, but just forcing me to contemplate things that I never even really contemplated. And so in this world of discussion... There are those that are referred to as sort of young earth creationists. And so young earth creationists believe that the earth is about 6,000 years old. And the reason that they reach that conclusion is if you take the genealogies that are found in the Bible and you trace them back, you can measure about 6,000 years. Now, there's some discussion amongst young earth creationists about are the genealogies uh, complete? Are they exhaustive? And so some, the, the people that would say, yes, they're exhaustive, like every single, every single generation is covered, you do the math and you can equate about 6,000 years, six to 8,000 years. Those that want to leave a little bit of cushion, like maybe every single generation wasn't accounted for, you'd get to like 10,000 years. Now, if you Google how old is the world, you're going to get a very precise number of 4.543 billion years old. Bless you. If you search how old is the universe, you get a, a, a much larger number. You get 13.8 billion years old. And so I've already established that I'm not a scientist. But Gunner's brain can f- figure out that there's a little bit of a discrepancy in opinion, right? Like between 10,000 years and 4.543 year like billion year like that's 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 a little bit of a discrepancy um this isn't something that i really cared about i've said that over historically no pun intended but i wish i was intending it to say that um uh so there i was in bible college and i'm being exposed to my my bible college was in seminary was connected to icr institute for creation research and all of these like organizations with like scientists. And so it was really, really important to the, the seminary that I particularly went to. And so I was like going to these classes and I just, like, I just like, initially I just didn't really care. And, and I kind of like the, Oh, does it really matter? I was like, what do I need to do to get the grade? And what can I like move on? But then I was exposed to this video. Um, there was a, a documentary made like it was during the eighties I don't know when it was made. It's probably made in the 90s, so it felt really old. And there was this scientist named um, Dr. Steve Austin. He's a geologist, and he was an old earth geologist. And so it was this hour video. You can still find this video on YouTube if you search Dr. Steve Austin and Mount St. Helens. So he was a scientist, a geologist, studying, researching old the theory of old earth, And he's watching and documenting the explosion of Mount St. Helens. So I think that was in 1980. So I was at an age where I just didn't, like, I don't even remember Mount St. Helens, but apparently it was a pretty big deal. It was certainly 
uh, geologists refer to this as like the uh, something event of the the century. Like this was like the Super Bowl for these guys with big glasses that study this stuff. Like they like, and so he's documenting everything. So he documents everything. And through the eruption of Mount St. Helens, Mount St. Helens volcano creates a one and 40th scale of the Grand Canyon over, I don't know how long it took. And then like, I think there's Crater Lake up there and he's diving into like post, like immediately post eruption. He's doing like dives into this. He's documenting everything that he sees. He's watching the tree sort of sink. And then like before his eyes, he's seen like the exact strata that's at the Grand Canyon forming before his eyes. And he's like blown away. So he watches all of this stuff. And then what he does is he starts collecting evidence from the things that he's pulling out of this, the, this eruption that he sees before his eyes. And then he begins, you know, however they do it, like bagging it and then mailing it to wherever they mail it to or whatever room. And he's carbon dating all this stuff. Like, so double blind carbon dating information. So he's sending it to all these places. He doesn't know who they are. There's no relationship. There's a way they can do it blindly. The people that receive it, they have no idea where it's coming from, what the background is of the whole stuff. They just know that we need to carbon date this stuff. And so they are carbon dating like pieces of tree and pieces of stuff, all the stuff that he's claimed from Mount St. Helens. And they're coming back with, what do you think they came back with? They were dating it at like four, five, seven billion years old. And so then this science, so he's saying, here I am, an older scientist. Like this guy's not even like a religious guy. Like he's like, I am a scientist doing PhD level like work with my students documenting this. And suddenly my assumptions are now being challenged. And then he goes on to say that because I just said, I think we need to consider this, that maybe there's a, maybe there's a, maybe there's another explanation for how things happened. And then he was basically excommunicated from his scientific world. And he's like now a part of like a lot of like, so all of these like scientists guys that hold to like young earth, they've all been sort of like, this doesn't fit our narrative. And so you can't participate. It, it was, it was enough. It was like, huh, that's very fascinating to me. It's as far as I'm going to go in this discussion, but if, but if, like, if this is something that floats your boat, like, there is, there is very, there are very smart people on, on, like, both sides of the aisle that, like, where at the end of the day, I'm kind of forced into, this isn't really a science question. The, the discussion of the creation of the world is a history discussion. Because the reality is at the end of the day, like scientists, when they do stuff, what do they have to do? They have to be able to recreate. <laughs> I hate to break it, but nobody has recreated nothingness into like the universe. <laughs> like, like, I, I, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful to either side. Like this is like when you go to the zoo and you read all this, the theory, when it's stated as absolute, it's like, that's, that's a, that's a leap. The reality is, is none of us can recreate this. None of us were there. And if you have your Bibles, just like if you want to go with me or you just listen to me, so much of this discussion as we're talking about this, I feel like God responding to Job. So in Job chapter 38, after Job has all these questions, his whole life's been destroyed. He's doing all this stuff. He's like, what is going on around here? And he sort of has all these questions for God. He's like, God, I want to talk to you. We need to sit down in my office. And I'm really upset at the things you've been doing. I don't think you have any right. God says, okay, I'll like, let's talk. He goes through, he hears all the advice, he goes through the stuff, and then God at the very end, he looks at Job and he says, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and, this, and, the, and said, who is this, uh, who is this that uh, darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Uh, now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you and you instruct me. So God says, all right, Job, you want to talk? Put on your big boy panties, we're going to talk. <laughs> I, I have some questions for you. And I'll let you instruct me. It's question number one, Job. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Well, if I was Job, I'd be like, well, somewhere around New Year's of 1974, I was conceived. Sorry, I don't like that. My birthday's in September, so I'm just doing the math backwards and... 
1974, if we're going to go with like billions of years, what, what is 1974 minus like, like, I don't know where, I, like, I don't have a clue where I was. He goes on to say, verse 5, who set its measurements since you know, or who stretched the line on it, or on what were the basis on, or on what basis, on, let me start over. On what were its bases sunk, or who laid its cornerstone, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? So he's putting Job in his place. He's saying, like, where were you? There's no scientist in the world that was around when creation happened. And, and so this, like, requires, like, I believe, like, deep humility and and really from like what i would say to a scientist is like you you can't you don't have a clue like all we like we have this empirical like this evidence around us and we have to sort of like measure the facts and so when we're in genesis and god's laying this framework in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth so let's look at what god's story is and see how it lines up with like the evolutionary story like in part and so in the beginning you march all the way back before, like to like the, when the first second of the first clock started ticking, there was God. And we're told that he created the heavens and the earth. This word created is a fascinating word in the Hebrew. It's a word that conveys to create something out of, nothing, out of nothingness. In all of the times that it's used in the Old Testament, because it's a Hebrew word, it's not a, new, it's not a Greek word that we find in the New Testament, um, is the air conditioning on or no? Is it hot or is it just me? It's hot. Um, where's Melanie? She's in Sunday school. Hey, do you know how to work in air conditioning? Oh, I know a guy that wants to work in air conditioning. Hey, come here. Can you, can you run this back to Jim? I'm like, oh, it's off. Somebody messed with it. That's why we won't, we won't do the empirical research to figure out who like, but Jim knows how to work in air conditioning. He's my guy. Thanks, Jim. Take it down to like 50 degrees. No, no, like I have no idea where we're at. <clears throat> okay, so God, so God, we're told created. This word created, it's a word that means to create out of nothingness. None of us here have ever created out of nothingness. Like you have an idea and you want to create something, whether it's a drawing or a painting or, or a cake, you, ha- you have the idea and then you go get the stuff that exists and then you put that stuff together and you make it whatever it is that you're making. This is a word that's like out of, there's a void, no air, no molecules, no anything. Out of nothingness, God created. In the Old Testament, the only subject connected to this word is God. This is never connected to a man for anything. Only God has the capacity to create something out of nothing. And, and this ultimately is my problem. And I would suggest that even scientists that think about it, this, this ultimately is a problem that they have. Because with the evolutionary scientists, we can give them all of the time in the world. You say it takes, it was 6 billion years to create the earth. Let's give you 600 billion years to create the earth. Let's go back 600 billion years. And then the question, where did this stuff come from? I think it's called matter is technical. Like, where did the stuff, like, where did the goo come from? Like, where did all of this stuff that you say kicked off all of this? Like, where did it come from? We need more time. And really in the discussion, if you look at it, time is the evolutionist God. Because apart from time, they can't make everything work. And my father-in-law, I, my, who's a pastor, he loves this stuff. And I love observing him argue with people who are evolutionists and scientists. Ultimately, the discussion will come down to them effectively throwing the table, the game off the table and saying, neither one of us are scientists. And then my father looks at me and he's like, well, actually, my degree is in biochemistry from Cal Poly. Like, my degree is in biochemistry from Cal Poly. And back at Cal Poly, when I was grappling with this issue, the, the issue was where did this stuff come from? And he had this girl that he really liked, and she was trying to witness to him to lead him to Christ. And he was saying, I don't buy into this stuff. 
And so she kept pressing him, and he kept doing his research. And Diana, don't correct, don't correct me if my story's off. This is a great, like, my story is really good here. Um, <laughs> but, like, I'm close, though, right? I mean, you know, and, and so, like, he couldn't answer the question where the stuff was. And for him, the only logical reason for the creation of the stuff was a creator. Because, like, the whole evolutionary theory, like, all of this stuff, it, 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 can't, it had to come, like, it had to be created, it had to, and, and truly, like, my heart is, like, my heart is, like, I don't really, like, I don't want to make a super big deal about this stuff. I would say that our world is making a big stuff about it. And then when we get to the discrepancy in the age, as we get through this story, like my like heart of like if like like I would disagree like I would disagree with the 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 uh, theistic evolutionist that kind of takes evolution in the time and just then they at the very end of the billion years they say well okay there was God and God kind of put the stuff and then God began to work through the little story that we've pieced together like I would go okay when I look at the creation account. I don't see Adam being created as like a little sperm cell and then a little egg and, and then that kind of like he grew and then he goes through his whole life of growing and then he's like this mature man. God said he created man. And then there's like what I imagine is like 30-year-old Adam just alive. And so when God creates the world, he creates a very mature world. So I'm like, I could see, like, okay, I could see all of their evidence going, well, they're seeing this mature world, but God created a mature world. Like, when he put all of the stars in place, like, if we say, and you'll see in these circles, they'll say, by today's rate of measurement, like, they even say, like, they acknowledge, like, we measure how fast light goes, but a billion years ago, we can't tell you that light traveled at the same speed as it does today. We're just taking today's calculations. So, They'll use all of these little disclaimers, but so if God created the stars and they say it takes a million years for uh, the light to travel from the star to the earth for us to see, God create like what the Bible says, God just created it, all moving in parts and like functioning. But then I come back to that that whole thing about the carbon dating about it just not like that they carbon dated Mount St Helens as billions of years, even though that's something that happened like forty years ago. So it's, it's, it's like, if we're going to have like an honest discussion, like there's, there's like tough questions. And so because of time, I got to like, like I say this in the most respectful way for the evolutionist time is their God, because that's the magic component that excuses, dismisses the lack of science in their discussion. Because if they can just have more time, that allows for these things to fall into place. And when we're evaluating this, for me, as my, like, like my young buck warrior spirit that wasn't really, like, paying attention in science class guy, I, it's like, well, who has more faith, who has more faith here? Like, to, to say that science has no faith is an act that's like way off base. Like they exercise a ton of faith. And so the Bible in this one verse states that God was eternally present outside of time. He created everything that we see and know and touch and feel. He created it. And we could spend a whole lot of time on this, but we really have to fly I'm just going to kind of talk through or read through the days of creation. So in verse 2, we, we come to day 1. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning, day one. So creation is spoken into existence. I do want to point out that the light that's mentioned here, we don't really know what this is. It's, we know it's not the sun because that's coming. Some have suggested this is just like the Shekinah glory of God himself creating this. 
um, we do see day one. We see that the day is marked by the evening and then by the day. Um, just a little interesting tidbit <clears throat> is, so today, Jewish people, if you go to Israel, they mark their days in the same way. The Sabbath starts at sunset of, of our Friday afternoon, and then the Sabbath ends Saturday morning at or Saturday afternoon at sunset, and the next day begins. And so we see that they mark their days in this way. For some reason, we, we changed how we mark our days. Day two, then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse, and it was so. God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning a second day. Okay, day two. Then we come to day three. Then God said, verse 9, Let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the waters he called the seas, or called seas. And God saw that it was good. All right, so we see sort of the formation of land, and there's this phrase at the very end of this day where we see God saw that it was good. This is going to be a recurring theme over the next couple of days. It's going to be used five times. Sort of God creates, he looks at what he created, and he says this is good. On the sixth time, the very last day, he says it was very good. That's all I have to say. Verse 11. Then God said, let the earth sprout out vegetation, uh, plants <clears throat> yielding seed and fruits and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit after their kind. If you're a person who marks in your Bible, I would encourage you to like mark or highlight after their kind. It's going to come nine times in the next few verses. So the earth bearing fruit after their kind with the seed in them. And so and it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind. And God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning, the third day. Now we're getting to verse 14, day four. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them... Let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them for lights be in the expanse of heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night, and he made the stars also. God, God placed each of them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night and to separate, <clears throat> and to separate the light from the darkness. God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning, a fourth day. Just on this one, I want to say, like, stars are super cool. Like, today, like, when I want to get somewhere and we have GPS and we can kind of go and navigate and pilots in the plane that are, like, flying, like, all the way around the world, they have G GPS to navigate them. And when you read, like, old stories from, like, 500, 600, 1,000 years ago and dudes just, like, take off in boats, like, going that way. But how, they navigated using the stars, like, it's not just total chaos. It's actually total and complete organization that you can, like, figure out where you are on the earth. And if you want to get across the great Pacific Ocean, which I've done in the Navy boat a bunch of times, it takes forever, it's huge, that you could sit there and look at the stars and determine where you are on the earth. It's, like, mind-boggling. Like, I can't even draw on a piece of paper two things that are, like, I, like, I can't, like, how this just happened to be is mind-boggling. And we're told here that God placed all of these things to govern and to lead and to give order to this world down below. Then verse 20, day five, then God said, let the waters teem with swarming living creatures. I love seafood. <laughs> and let the birds fly above the earth and in the open expanse of the heavens, God created the sea monsters and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarmed after their kind and every winged bird after its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. There was evening and there was morning, a fifth day. <clears throat> 
And so I'm super thankful that this happened because it's like a great world. Like imagine if all this happened and people like things stopped reproducing and then like, like we wouldn't be here and we wouldn't be able to enjoy all this stuff. So I'm thankful for all those fish that keep reproducing so that I can keep eating them. And then like my grandkids will be able to eat them. Like it's a wonderful thing. Um, verse 24, then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so God made the beasts of the earth after their kind and the cattle after their kind and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw that was good. Now I want to comment. I mentioned the after its kind. So I think we've seen this. If my counting is right, it's nine times in the, the immediate context, maybe 10 times. I've just seen one that I have marked in red. And so maybe I miscounted one, but I think it's nine times. Uh, this statement is fascinating. Going back to Gunner, not caring about these discussions, just sort of being told, oh, the earth is a bazillion years old. Uh, we descended from apes. And it wasn't really a, you didn't have to have a compelling case to convince me that I descended from an ape at that time in my life. And so, so I'm like, okay, it just makes sense. You know, they got the little picture of like the guy that's a monkey and then he's slowly standing up. Like, it's a really cool picture, right? Like, it just kind of goes like, yeah, that's, who am I to question science? Well, in this, I guess in 2021, we now question science. People do. Like, it's a little more, I'm not trying to be trendy, but I was like, I'm not going to buck the pro, like, that guy's a better artist than I am. I couldn't do that. Like, Totally makes sense. And like, so during this time is about when I met Anna. So I'm like going through this. And now I'm talking with Anna's dad. He was probably vetting me or I hope he was vetting me. Like, I don't know. Like, and so like I was learning, like I, I wasn't coming at this from a combative experience. Like I was not combative. It was just like, okay, this is like what was going on a billion years ago. didn't really affect me in the now. Like, so it, I didn't. But as we started talking, and this is one of those phrases that Anna's dad, like from a scientist, he's like, like the whole, like after it's kind, he's like, what makes more sense to you in the evolutionary thing? And I'm like, well, I don't know. Like that picture is compelling. I mean, that picture, like the little guy, like, like he's like this. And then the next one, he's like this. The next one, he's like this. The next one, he's like this. And then now he's like walking on two legs. That's compelling. He's like, Gunner, like, let's talk about mutations. He's like, let's talk about mutations that we know and see and experience and that you do. Like, tell me, like, he's like, when was the last time that you um, heard of somebody getting cancer and saying, yes, I'm evolving. I've got a mutation and it's going to help me to be stronger and my kids to be stronger. That's not how it works. He says, Gunner, mutations and the science that we can see and evaluate, it's catastrophic. Mutations aren't good. He's like, when was the last time you saw a dog give a a litter of kittens? Never seen that. Sure, you can get a dog and you can breed a, a poodle with a Labrador and come up with a Labradoodle, right? But it's a dog and a dog. He's like, you've never seen one species like... In our existence of recording, you don't see one species go to another species. You can, you can create a bunch of like brown haired people by pulling genes together and you can kind of like manipulate the actual species. I'm like, oh, that's a really good point. And I'm like, well, why do they say that? And they say, well, there's just over time, they say that these mutations are actually good things. But then if you actually like evaluate mutations, it doesn't actually, it doesn't actually mean good things. It's catastrophic and it's like ending. Like last night I'm driving home and I'm like, I'm driving in the carpool lane at dark and I'm seeing all of the lights around me and I'm seeing cars like going north on the 15. And it's just like, if you think about it, like one component, like our eyes, like I'm just sitting there like, I'm driving, like Melanie and Tim and Grace are in the car and they ask me something like, uh-huh, like they're playing 20 questions about food stuff. And I'm like, uh, I was daydreaming. And they're like, oh, great, well, you're just ignoring us. And I'm like, well, I was like pondering life. Like there's like, I didn't, this is just what I'm thinking. And I said skip is what I said. But what I like, 
But like I'm looking, like out across, there's all of this stuff. And then there are cars that are projecting light. And then that light is hitting the stuff and it's reflecting. And then it's hitting my eyeballs. And then it's going into my eyeballs into like a something back there. Like a retina, I think, or a something, and then that then hits a wire in my head that makes it to my brain, and my brain's like, I've been shocked that way before, and that means that you're seeing that. I'm not an ophthalmologist either. (laughs) But that's basically the gunner's version of what's going on in there, and then my brain says, yeah, that's what you're seeing, and then my brain is then telling my hands what to do, my feet what to do, and all of this stuff is happening just by chance. And that's just like one like component. And now I'm thinking like Jim helped with that. Jim adopted or he he's like really scared now. You know, he got a like a little chick. It turned out it was blind. So he's like takes care of a blind chicken. But that's not a good thing in the chicken world. Right? Like he's talking about this chicken. He's like, well, he kind of knows where the food but 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 this is the sort of thing that like your eye has like a problem. It doesn't lead to like you then your children then having night vision goggles. The evolution is to say with time you have a malfunction and then it's like it morphs into other things. And then trying to be reasonable with who has more faith, and I look like Gunner in this class being exposed to this stuff, then it's like, well, what does the Bible say? The Bible says. Dogs make dogs. Humans make humans. Fish make fish. That seems to align with what I've seen and what I've read about in human history for as far, not not that I've read all of human history, but when I like touch on things, like you read stuff from 2,000 years ago, that's exactly what's happening. The Bible tells us that God's, when his creation, he formed it, he created it, he created people, to reproduce people, fish to reproduce fish, uh, lettuce to reproduce lettuce. Uh, I don't know why that came to my head. It's getting close to lunchtime, I think. I don't know. Like it's... But then he gets a man in verse 26. I got to like really move along here. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over the, all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish and the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every little thing on the earth. And so there's a couple things here we have to touch base on. The first thing, in the very first chapter of the Bible, notice how God refers to himself. So you guys all know about Spanish, that my, or you, you all know about me in Spanish. So I've been trying to figure out how to do this sort of thing in Spanish. And it's like really like intimidating to know like what tense and stuff. But this is like not accidental. This isn't like gunners trying to translate the Bible into Spanish. And instead of saying, God said, let me do this. Or, and I accidentally used the wrong tent and I said, let us do this. That's not what happened here. God refers to himself in the first person plural. Let us make man, and if it was one mistake, it certainly wasn't a second mistake, in our image. So that's a second time, second, first person plural. So when, we, when he when they gets to the creation of man, now God refers to himself in the plurality. And so I don't want to, go too far into this only to point out like the mystery of the triunity of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In the very opening chapter, you see this, how God speaks about himself. And then he says, let us make man differently than we've made all of the other stuff. Let, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And, and so humanity, we weren't apes that just happened to evolve. We were a special creation created in God's image and God's likeness. We see that there's responsibility given over creation. That that I do think like I'm not like, like, like we have a responsibility to rule over the creation that God has entrusted us with. Um, like I'm not like, 
I don't want to go too far, like in the whole like climate change and all that world. Like I don't want to like go too far into that like discussion. But I found it interesting that in this like G20 summit, that only humans were invited. Like they didn't invite like the head of all the cows to come because cows apparently are the big issue and they're they're passing so much gas, it's hurting the environment. Why are the cows not invited to have be part of the discussion of how we're because in representation, like all, because the reality is like innately humans know that we're distinct from creation. Like we're distinct. God has created us in his image. We have a responsibility. Like what it, I'm not trying to get into what they talked about. I don't even know what they talked about. But like God has created us different from creation. We have a responsibility to our creation. And then in verse 27, it's just this beautiful verse. God created man in his own image, the image of God. He created him, male and female. He created him. And this is so offensive to the, the, to the world. They say, no, 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 that's not what happened. The Bible tells us, no, that we were created distinctly according to his image and his, like, that we're distinct. There's male and female. We'll get more into that later. That's under attack. So much of this is under attack. Then he says in verse 29, then God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding Seed that is on the surface of the earth and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird in the sky and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. And so we're told according to the Bible that God created Everything that we see, you know, in six days. I don't know why it took him so long. Like, like, seriously, he could have spoken it all into existence instantly. But he chose to do it over the course of six days. And it was very good. So what do we do with this? Like, the first, if you're a person that, like, has a scientific mind and you really want to grapple with the things of creation and the alignment of Scripture, there are organizations like ICR, Institute for Creation Research, there's Answers in Genesis, there's a whole, like, there's a whole smattering of, of organizations that are, like, true scientists that have devoted their life, like, generations, like, studying the evidence. But in the basic just looking at Genesis 1, when I look at this, in the beginning, God created. I think, first off, that God wants us to discover him. Like, what a wonderful truth and reality for us to ground our, our thoughts and our fears in. I wish somebody was there when six-year-old Gunner was tossing and turning in his bed, and I'm like, where did I come from? Where, what is the purpose of all of this? Like, I wish that I had somebody say, you know what? God created you. God loves you. He's created all of this to point you to him. Psalm 19, verses 1 through 2, this is what it says. It says, the heavens are telling the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. Saying that creation is like screaming out. There is a God, and he created everything that you see. The other day, I, for some reason, I turned on the TV, and I happened to turn it on right as like Bezos did like the rich people's transit to space tour thing. And I turned it on right as, like, is it William Shatner? Is that who it was? Um, he like steps out, and they're doing this interview with him. Like He had the money to make it to space and back, and like he, he steps out. It doesn't have a connection to God, but it was like he was like, it was like God was like right on his, like the tip of his lips and he just didn't know to say it. And he was just like up there, it's death and darkness. And you look down and there's something unique about earth and light. It was like he was shaking, but he couldn't say God. But it was like right there because creation was like crying out. But Paul writes in Romans 1.20, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so they are without excuse. And then he lists all the excuses that they make, and we see that creation is enough to condemn us, it's not enough to save us. Creation is enough witness to tell us that there is a God, that he created all things. Paul in Ephesians 1.4 tells us, Just as he chose him, that's Christ before the foundation of the world, 
that we would be holy and blameless before. The Bible tells us that when we read this verse, in the beginning, before that moment, before time started, as God was there over the nothingness, he had you in his mind. He chose us in him before the foundation. Like, this gives me goosebumps. Like, so much of our society is so derailed because we're telling young people that you came out of slime goo. The Bible says, no, before the foundation of the world, God knew who you were. He had a plan for you. He created you. He knew that your time would come. Like, you might have been an accident to your parents or a surprise to your parents like I was, but I wasn't to God. And God has placed me and you in this place, according to Acts chapter 17, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, for what purpose? That they might seek God. If perhaps they might grope for him, this is the term, the phrase for a blind person, using their hands to fill somebody's face. And he says that he's not far from each one of us. So on the one side, the world tells us that you came out of nothing. It's just chance. You're, you're not valuable. Like, like really, you're of no value. If you have a handicap, you should be able to be aborted in the womb. You, like, the world is a very dark place. There is no value on human life. The very, like, the Bible comes out of the gates with hope. God created the world. God created you. God loves you. And he desires this relationship with you, and he's pouring forth from his creation to lead you to him. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for these, this opening page of the, of the Bible. There is so much truth here that is argued about and fought over in the world. And I thank you, God, for leading me along the way in my life. When I think back to when I was about 30 years old or so, and you began to, even like as a Christian, adjust my worldview to see that you are God and that you are creator and that nothing in my life was an accident. And so we thank you, God, that you love us, that you created us. We pray, Father, that as we uh, go through Genesis, that you would lead us in a way that would point us to you. Help us to see um, your story of human uh, creation and redemption. And so we do thank you, Lord, for this day. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. Amen.